This is Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point, Hedman, right to Kucherov. Score! Patrick Kucherov! That's right. We want to hear more of that, and I think we will. Glad you're with us. It is Power Lunch Friday edition. Greg Linelli along with the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick producing. Bobby the Chief Taylor coming up in our next segment. And if you're a hockey fan, which you are, because let's face it, you're listening to this show, tomorrow really kicks off your hockey fix. We've got four games, starting at 12 with the Rangers and Hurricanes, and ending at 8 o'clock, or I should say ending at 10.30, Jets and Flames. So you've got a lot of games tomorrow as the best of five series gets set. By the way, the Panthers will take on the Islanders. That'll be a 4 o'clock game. Of course, we saw them on Wednesday. And I've got a this date back in 2000 for you. But let me bring in the great Dave Michigan. Dave, we're ready for some hockey. We were ready, I think, Wednesday, but... Boy, if you are a, a big-time hockey fan, I've got to think you're probably going to sit back, assuming you don't have a, a ton of things to do around the house, and catching a lot of hockey. Yeah, I was thinking about this from the players' perspective because we were wondering, talking about the players in the hub cities, when yeah. they're not playing. Like, what are they going to do? What are they going to bring? Some of the local writers have done stories about how are you going to pass the time, going to play video games, are you going to read? Are you going to play cards? What are you going to do? I mean, at the beginning of this, they can watch hockey, right? I mean, they can watch 12 hours of hockey if they're so inclined. And they can go to their common room with their teammates and, and watch it there. And that's something that you do see in a normal playoff. So I'm sure that that's great for the players to help pass the time in these early days of the tournament. And certainly you are right for hockey fans around the world, tomorrow is going to be the start of a really fun stretch here to to watch lots of games of great significance. I don't want to get too caught in the weeds, so to speak, when we're talking about some of the games this weekend. But at first glance, Dave, do you have any thoughts in terms of difficult matchups, maybe more difficult on the East as opposed to the West or, or vice versa? Do you feel like in some of these preliminary rounds, uh, you're more intrigued by a certain conference than the other one? Well, it's a short series, so or shorter series. We're not talking about two out of three, but three out of five is shorter than four out of seven, obviously, which means that you can see a greater likelihood, I guess, of an upset because if a team pops off a couple of wins, surprisingly, at the beginning mm -hmm. of a series – then their odds of winning the series would go way up as opposed to winning the first two games in a best of seven. Your odds are good, but they're not as good. And then we have the added component of what is this going to look like because teams are coming in after the long pause. So there may be a series out there that at first blush might not seem to be as compelling in terms of the matchup and maybe the lower seed – will surprise the higher seed. We just don't know. And the fact that it is a three out of five, I think, increases the likelihood. It's not definite, but I think it increases the likelihood of something like that happening. Having said that, 
In terms of styles and the contrast of styles, I'm very interested to see Toronto-Columbus. Toronto, people have drawn a comparison to how the Lightning played last year. I think the Lightning have adjusted their game somewhat. And Toronto was not on pace to win 62 games this regular season. So let's just make that perfectly clear. But they are a team that is predicated on speed, on skill, very dangerous offensive attack. And Columbus is really a team that D's up well. And in a season in which they had more injuries than most teams would be able to overcome, they did overcome those injuries. I mean, they finished ninth in the conference, and they may have made the playoffs had we gone through the full 82 regular season games. At one point, they lost both their goalies to injuries. Merzlikens was able to grab his opportunity when Corpusalo got hurt, and then Merzlikens got hurt, and they were on their third-string guy, and they still persevered. And they are probably feeling really confident, if that's the right way of putting it, based on what they were able to do last year against the Lightning in that they were able to shut down a really explosive high-scoring team. So that is a really interesting matchup of styles. Toronto has been the bridesmaid, essentially, for the last three years, losing in the first round in excruciating fashion the last two years to Boston. Now, this is not technically the first round. This is a play-in series. But I think for them, they are ready. They are ready to take the next step and actually celebrate a series win. So I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I think that's, for one, anyway, to me, a pretty interesting series in this this play-in round. Yeah, and I think for a lot of us, too, I'm anxious to see what type of play we see early on. You know, I think a lot of us, believe and I don't want to speak for for you Dave necessarily but I I feel like there's been a pretty decent consensus when it comes to what the play could look like is it going to be pretty choppy are teams going to be less likely to push play and and be a little more fancy than as opposed to dumping and chasing, understanding that maybe the ice won't be as great or the play may be off because these guys have been away for so long. But I'm wondering if that gets dispelled pretty quickly because I I take a look at the way the Lightning played on Wednesday. And again, we have to preface this by saying for those that are going to get upset if we don't, that it was one exhibition game. And that exhibition game clearly won't be played with the same intensity that even Monday's game against the Capitals will be, let alone a play-in series. But I'm wondering if that kind of goes out the window and if we're not giving enough credit to the shape these guys are in, Dave, and how great of an athlete or athletes they are to begin with, period, that maybe it's not going to take them a long time to play the way their coaching staff wants them to play. And if they're a team that likes to push pace and maybe have a little more offense than defense. Is that something that comes a little quicker, comes a little easier at the beginning of these series than maybe we anticipated? Again, it's one of those talking points that I think some people will throw out because it sounds correct. But much like we discussed the other day about the pushing and the shoving and maybe 
uh, it not being as physical because fans aren't in the stands. Well, even in Wednesday, we saw that wasn't the case. I wonder if that's going to be the same thing when it comes to the way teams want to play their games and how quickly they adapt to playing before the pause. We kicked this around last week, and if you recall, the metric for me was not about one team style over another or the choppy ice because both teams are going to be playing on the same ice surface. It goes to how quickly teams can settle into their system, which is not easy to do when you've had a four-month layoff, which is why... Usually, at the beginning of a normal regular season, you do see more offense. So I was curious, and I'm still curious, to see if we have some more high-scoring games at the beginning of this tournament because teams are reacclimating. It's not that they don't want to play good D, and here's where I differ with you, I think, a little bit. I don't think there's a team in the tournament that's saying, yeah, we're going to place more of an emphasis on offense than defense. Even the skill teams understand that you don't want to be giving up four or five goals a game and having to score five or six. <laughs> I just sure. think that it's the way you want to play. You want to press the attack, which not only helps you score, it prevents the other team maybe from scoring because you're putting them back on their heels. But I think every one of the 24 teams in this tournament wants to play good defensive hockey they don't want to be giving up more than two goals a game. And if they can, less than two, because then you greatly increase your odds of winning. But you can want to do that and fail if you're not executing your system as well as maybe you would if you had been playing regularly heading into the playoffs or as a lot of teams were in the second half of the year. And I don't know the answer to that, Greg. And I think your point's a good one. Like, what will the ice conditions do to how fluid the game is? Would that slow down offenses? Maybe. Maybe it'll handcuff defenses. A guy thinks he's going to make a good, safe play in his own end. The puck skips over his stick, and the other team gets a breakaway. I mean, that can happen, too. So that's an unknown and maybe a little bit of an intangible that we're going to have to see, but every one of the teams in each of the two hub cities will be playing on the same sheet of ice. So that will be an equalizer on some level. What I took out of, and again, for what it's worth, we're talking about exhibitions, but the 12 exhibition games were relatively low scoring. The Lightning scored the most goals, five. No other team scored more than four. And a lot of the teams that scored four got their fourth with an empty netter. Which is to say that, at least if you were to look at the box scores, and I confess, I did not watch every minute of every one of these other 11 sure. exhibition games. I caught some here and there. But I think if you were to look at the numbers, you would say, you know what? True, it's exhibition, but it looked like teams were not only committed to defending pretty well, they were actually able to do it based on where those final scores were. We saw a lot of 3-2 games. There were a couple of shutouts in addition to the Lightning shutout. The Blackhawks shut out the Blues. The Stars got shut out 2-0 to Nashville. I mean, that's a low-scoring game for sure. So what does that mean heading into play tomorrow? I don't know, but I think 
coaches probably around the league, particularly the winning coaches in the exhibition, true, they're saying it's an exhibition. And we can't extrapolate too much from an exhibition because the level of play is going to go way up starting tomorrow. But they would rather have good structure and keep the goals against down in the exhibition than the opposite, right? They don't want to be looking at, man, we just gave up a snowman in the exhibition. So I think that that is somewhat telling about how teams have been able to elevate the priority of playing good defense, even though we are talking about 12 exhibition games. And we'll see if that follows into the, into the, the qualifying round. Lastly, before we get to Chief, and then I want to get into the Capitals a bit on Monday, although we'll have a chance to do that as well before the game begins uh, in a couple of days. This date, Dave, in 2000, this comes from the NHL Public Relations Twitter feed, the Lightning signed 25-year-old free agent Marty St. Louis. Of course, he goes on to help Tampa Bay win the Cup in 04, a couple of Art Ross trophies while with the franchise and... uh, we obviously know the impact that he had, but that's amazing how a change of scenery for him and eventually it really changed the franchise in many ways with his development as a player along with so many other players and draft picks that were able to come up through that time. It was a lifeline for Marty St. Louis, who was languishing in the Calgary organization, but it also turned out to be a lifeline for the Lightning, who in just a few years were among the elite, the elite in the NHL, and of course won the Stanley Cup in 2004, and Marty St. Louis was a big part of that. So I didn't know that happened on this date. Thank you for (laughs) sharing that with me. I wonder if Marty himself remembers that this was the day that he signed as a free agent. And you know, under a normal off-season, Greg, yep. when do free agents typically sign? It's not July 31st. It's July 1st, right? Mm-hmm. The high-end, sought-after guys, if they're free agents, they sign July 1st. Marty St. Louis, Marty St. Louis was not in that boat in the year 2000. And he had to wait a month to find a home after free agency opened but he certainly made the most of it that's for sure yep no doubt about it it's uh, an interesting time sometimes they'll just look back and and see when things happen all right bobby the chief taylor he's up next we'll get his thoughts on what he saw wednesday what to expect this weekend and lightning and caps on monday we'll talk about it with him when we return on the power lunch on lightning power play This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, all right. Glad you are with us here on a Friday. It's always good on a Friday to uh, get you set for the weekend. Although, as my wife said, Dave, when we were out for our walk earlier today, she goes, boy, it it does feel like Groundhog's Day, doesn't it? (laughs) Every day, you know, we're kind of, you're getting into a routine and... You know, we're all uh, anxiously awaiting what's going to happen with schools coming up here pretty soon. And uh, by the way, if you're just uh, tuning in, we're, we're efforting to get Bobby the Chief Taylor. Not sure if we'll 
we'll get Jeff, Chief. If we don't uh, get him today, we'll certainly get him next week. By the way, I got to break in here, Greg, because you mentioned Groundhog Day. So my wife and I watched the other night this movie, Palm Springs. Have you seen this movie that's been promoted at all? I don't think I have. So we like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Adam Sandberg's on that show and he's in this movie. So we're like, yeah, let's give it a, let's give it a, a a watch. And it was like a rom-com. It was fun. But the premise is similar to the Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day where both of the leads are stuck in this loop where they wake up and it's the same day over and over and over again. So the next day at dinner, we were sharing with the kids this movie that we watched and they were fascinated by like this time loop idea. And we're like, you know, the original movie that came out was with Bill Murray, who's a meteorologist. He goes to cover Groundhog Day in Puxantani, Pennsylvania. And... You know, he finds that he's waking up. It's the same day every day. And my wife said accurately, that movie became so iconic that when people now refer to Groundhog Day, they're not actually referring to February 2nd. (laughs) They're referring to it's the same day over and over and over again. And you just did that. Or I should say Annie did it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You you that, know that, you know when a movie that. has had an impact on culture and society <laughs> <laughs> when it's taken well, over our vernacular. Well, the, one of the best scenes. There's a couple of really funny scenes. The one is where he's just after the same day, over and over again. After like two weeks, he's at that diner and he's just stuffing donuts in his <laughs> mouth. And he's like, "Oh, sit down. You hungry?" And she's like, "You're gonna eat all that." <laughs> I like when he uh, when he punches the annoying guy in the face. And that one. And that one. Ned. And then and then just just crushes him in the face. It, it, and look, that was. I mean, one that was in the eighties, right, Dave? That that had. Yeah, been, I couldn't remember. I said early nineties, but you may be right. If it was eighties, it was late eighties. You could be right. I mean, all the great movies were in the nineteen eighties, but um, that was uh, <laughs> that was iconic, but. 93. Okay, so right. it wasn't the So 90s. I was right, Steve early says, 90s. Yes, you were. Um, so my wife had said that today when we were walking, that, boy, it just feels like Groundhog's Day every single day. And I think that's why, again, we're so excited that there's going to be some hockey this weekend because it does break up uh, everything. I-, I wanted to ask you, because you guys make it so easy, obviously, listening to, but you know, obviously I think all the broadcasters are dealt with some challenges putting this on because of where things are located and the camera angles that you're you're looking at and, and have access to. Now that you've had kind of a, a couple of days to, to think about it, what did you make of the broadcast in general and what are what were some of the challenges maybe that, you know, for people listening that maybe they weren't thinking about that, you know, they can keep in mind next time they're hearing you and Phil? Well, I think our listeners understand that Phil and I have done this before. And when we did it before, it was in the iHeart studio in a very small studio with, it wasn't a tiny television, but it was, it was pretty small and it was just us. We were the only ones who were calling the game remotely. Everybody else who was involved in those games was at the arena. And this was in 2016 down the stretch in the regular season into that playoff year. And then I did another month in the 17-18 season when my wife had a surgery and was recovering. And that was 10 or 11 more games. 
And I would say the the biggest difference between those games and at least the exhibition was it's like the difference between staying in a like flea bag motel. No offense to iHeart, right? <laughs> like if you're driving, it's two o'clock in the morning. Your your eyes are I'm channeling the Eagles here. Like <laughs> my eyes grew heavy and the the lights were dim. Right. I had to stop for the night. I'm probably messing up the lyrics, but Sorry. it wasn't the Hotel California, thank goodness. But you know, you need a place to spend the night. And this felt like a five-star hotel <laughs> where I had monitors everywhere. Steve was there. We had a technical person from Annalie Arena there. We had different monitor views. They actually filmed the warm-ups for the line rushes, which was very surprising for me because we had a camera yeah. view during warm-ups. Whereas when I was in the studio, of course, I was just getting the game off the television. So there was no warm-up that I was able to watch. And so from that standpoint, I guess I had more amenities than I had the first time around. But it's still a challenge. You know, you're looking at two dimensions as opposed to three dimensions. There are things that invariably you're going to miss. The Kucherov goal went in the net so quickly and then got stuck by the water bottle. So you couldn't actually see the puck. You almost had to wait a beat before determining it was a goal. And then the added component of there was nobody in the building. So you didn't have that crowd reaction to help you maybe if a goal is scored. You had to wait for the referee to point, which he did. So it's still challenging, but knock on wood, you know, I felt like I had a lot more support, if that's the right word. Not that I didn't have support the first time, but, you know, and that's in large part to, to people like Steve, who, you know, put in a lot of work to try and make this streamlined as, as best he could. And I'm not the only one this time, or Phil and I are not the only ones. Everybody around the league with the exception of a couple of broadcasters who work for the national networks, we're all in the same boat here. So the league took great pains to try and make this accessible yeah. and as workable as possible. And I thought it was it was okay to watch on TV too. You know, I, I mean, I think it, it, we can poke holes at a lot of different things. You and I have had this discussion before, but... You know, I wasn't as turned off as some when it came to all of the different angles, you know, and, and maybe because I was multitasking a bit. You know, you're listening to the broadcast. You're also watching it on TV, but you're also taking down notes. And I didn't mind everything I witnessed. And I felt like, to be honest, it was a situation where, under the circumstances, I, I really didn't have a problem with too much. So... I thought all in all it was pretty good and uh, in terms of the TV viewing. And I, I know there were a lot of people who complained about it um, to start. I think, A, that's going to get better in time. But, B, I mean, let's just be happy we're back playing. You know, I, I think if, if you're really going to be upset about certain camera angles, and I, I get it, you want things to be perfect, we become spoiled as a society for sure, I think sometimes maybe we have to remove the emotion out of this and just say, look, it, it may not be perfect, but these are unusual circumstances that everybody's dealing with, and let's just 
enjoy the fact that we can watch it on TV. And if there's an angle that you don't like, eh, I think we'll get over it. You know, Dave, I think, I think that's how I, I'm kind of approaching it. And it's a lot better to have the games on with some different camera angles that may not appeal to everyone than no games. And that's kind of the way that I look at it. I would rather be able to broadcast games, as I said the other day, with the camera upside down than no games. So I'm happy to take whatever the league wants to send our way in terms of the the view that is provided. Whatever they want to give us is okay with us. All right, that's going to... Do it for this segment. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Washington Capitals series. We'll get into uh, some other topics as well. If you want to react to anything we've had to say, you can. At Dave Michigan, at Greg Lanelli, at Bolts Radio. Uh, if you can do that, that would be great as we continue to break down all of uh, the great action that we saw on Wednesday. And uh, as we said before, on Monday, that game will air at... 4 o'clock with the pregame at 3.30, but Dave and I will be doing our show beforehand, and you'll probably be able to listen to that a couple of different times leading into the pregame. So we're excited about that. And for your most complete Lightning coverage, do listen to a Lightning Power Play. All right, when we return, a little more hockey talk for you. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli. Steve Versnick is producing. You're listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, Power Lunch rolls along. Greg Linnelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick is producing. Hit us up on Twitter, at Greg Linnelli. Anything you want to talk about, we certainly can... Break it all down for you. Game on Monday should be very intriguing. The Lightning will be taking on the Caps, and we know that those two teams don't like each other very much. It's interesting. We're going to be seeing on Sunday, Dave, uh, the Flyers and the Bruins. Of course, that is one of the the round-robin games that will be going on. That's a 3 o'clock start. And There are a few teams I'm interested in when we start talking about these playing games and round robin games the flyers are one because they might have been playing as well as anybody before the pause and you know look we can throw out the narrative that until they get really really good goaltending does it matter I, I think that's always fair when you take a look at why have the flyers struggled over the years to be considered not only a, a good team but a a contending team, and, and a lot of people will cite the goaltending. But maybe they started to figure some things out during their stretch run with the youngster Hart in nets. But the Flyers have always been a team that's intrigued me, Dave, because we know they're always physical and play over the line, but I've always liked their skill. I don't know if I was as high as, uh, as some were on Claude Giroux, if you remember, I think it was the playoff series where the Flyers beat the Penguins in six. And it was kind of the game where Crosby and Giroux went at it, and Giroux had a play. I forget what game it was. It was the opening shift where he knocks Crosby off the puck and scores like the opening minute of that, of that game in that specific series. I think the Flyers won it in six. 
And I remember Pierre Maguire coming out and saying, Claude Giroux, and I'm paraphrasing, Claude Giroux has taken over Sidney Crosby as the best. I mean, really wanted to knock home that narrative. And obviously that wasn't true. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> No bias but, there, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have no bias, well, and I will I agree. Yeah, I mean, I don't that think wasn't you would true. Agree. Yeah, I don't think you would agree with that either. Um, and Claude Giroux's family might not even agree with that. But I've always liked, getting back to my point, I've always liked Philadelphia's skill up front. I've always felt like they've had some really talented players collectively. And whether it's because, you know, the back end hasn't been as great, whether it's because, you know, maybe they just weren't as disciplined enough over the years. And really maybe the, the elephant in the room is they just never really got the goaltending they needed to be a serious contender. They are the one team I'm very interested in seeing because they are in the top four and they got there, honestly. You know, they, they, they earned it. They were 41-27-7 and, and they were second in the Metropolitan, a very tough division. But part of me wants to see if this pause is going to have a bigger effect on them than maybe some other high-end teams in the Eastern Conference. And maybe that eventually does come back to goaltending. That is the one team... I'm very intrigued about in terms of some other series. And I'll let you just, you know, obviously respond. Um, shocker coming up here. Uh, Penguins, Canadians, for the very simple fact that who's going to start in net for the Penguins? You know, we've talked about goaltending for so long here in Tampa Bay being some of the best in the league over the last five, six years. Matt Murray's done well to add to his resume or to put on his resume two Stanley Cup rings, but never really started both of those runs and had to share some time. And really since the Stanley Cup runs, he's been pretty good, but he hasn't been great. And we know about Carey Price and, and how good he is, although I don't know if I think they're going to win that series, but I am curious to see who's going to be in net for the Penguins. And then out West, I just, I want to see if St. Louis can do it again. I think top to bottom, boy, right next to the Lightning, they have a really impressive roster. And I think they probably should be healthy considering some of the injuries they had before the pause. Right. But I think for them, top to bottom, I mean, you can make a strong case. There's, there aren't any weaknesses like Tampa Bay, and I'm, I'm really curious to see how that plays out moving forward. Well, sadly, they won't have Bo Meester. And, and that's a big deal. He was, he was a pretty important part yes. of their Stanley Cup run last year and an important part of their team and had been an important part of their team. And, of course, they don't have Pat Maroon this year because he's on the Lightning. That's right. I'm going to get to the West topic first, and then I'll circle back to the Flyers. We don't know what's going to happen in the early rounds, obviously. Any one of the, the top seeds in the East or the West could get knocked off in the first round. You may have multiple teams that get knocked off. Talking about the best of seven once these top four teams get through their round robin. But you have a really interesting dynamic in the West that is brewing. And I like Vegas. I think Vegas is a really strong team. I think they helped themselves at the deadline. I think they were playing really well, too. They'd found their stride under Pete DeBoer, and 
they are going to be a handful for whoever has to knock them off. But you have St. Louis, talking about contrast again, like Columbus, mm-hmm. Toronto, right? You have St. Louis, which is just so structured, so tight, so good defensively. They give you nothing when they're on their game. And Colorado, a team that is as explosive as any team in the league, and that includes the Lightning, who are maybe equally as explosive. But Colorado is right there, and they're healthy. They had some injuries when the season paused. So if we see a Colorado-St. Louis matchup, and it wouldn't be until the second round of the earliest and maybe even later if both those teams can can survive and get that far, that's going to be an extremely intriguing matchup of strength against strength. Like you were talking about skill teams versus defensive teams, and I kind of referenced it in the Toronto-Columbus series. That's That's a heavyweight battle right there. And again, we don't know if that's going to materialize, but if it does, that's going to be really compelling hockey to watch. Going back to the Flyers, so the Lightning saw the Flyers, they were supposed to play them the third and final time on the day the season paused on March 12th. But the first two games, like the Lightning maybe played one of their best defensive games of the year in Philly, that one nothing game. And the Flyers defended really well, too, in that game. Yeah. And then there was another close game at Amelie Arena a little bit later that the Lightning saw the Flyers in both of their long winning streaks. They won their 10th straight game in the first meeting, and then in a streak that would go to 11, they won their 10th straight game in the second meeting, and then they win, win their 11th in a row in Denver against Colorado. That was that overtime game at the beginning of a road trip where they eventually lost the next game to Vegas. And they were really close games. They were well-played defensive oriented and you're right the flyers have always been kind of trademarked as beyond their broad street bully days i mean i think they still carry that mantle of being big and tough but they don't they don't play quite that same way anymore like they they shifted a few years ago from getting the big strong read slow defenseman in their system to the more mobile defenseman who can still play really well. I mean, Goss Bear certainly is is an elite offensive defenseman when he's healthy, but they've added Provorov, they've added Travis Sanheim. They've gotten they've gotten some young defensemen who aren't just big and rugged, right? But certainly they have been known more as kind of a skill team with Giroux, Voracek, um, Gossis Bear in there as well. And I think that they've they've transformed into a more solid defensive team, kind of like the Lightning. And I'm saying that, I'm thinking, you know, Konechny's a hard-nosed player. They have some guys like that. Couturier was, you know, again, one of the top defensive forwards in the league this year, and no surprise that he's one of the Selkie finalists. So I don't mean to mean that they're run-and-gun, but the element of their game that I think Elaine Vino has has helped them with is that structure. And so I'm not surprised that under Vino, who has taken two teams to the Stanley Cup final, Vancouver and the Rangers, that they took a step forward this year. Will it translate to playoff success? Who knows? But 
They got a really good coach. They got really good players. And is Carter Hart the answer they've been looking for in net? I guess we'll wait and see. He's never been in this situation before. But they feel strongly about how good he is, certainly. And now he's going to have to go out and prove it. He is. And it's it's so fascinating because I think here in Tampa Bay, we sometimes get spoiled, Dave. You know, I've made the comment that collectively the back end for this team is maybe the most talented we've seen in the history of the Lightning franchise when you take a look from one through nine. Again, doesn't take away from the, the guys who won the Cup in 04. They were very talented and deep in their own right. And they look, they won a championship. So maybe you give them the edge and that's fine if you were to compare. But we also know that over the years, you know, at times this franchise has gone through some lean years in net. But I feel like we're living in that golden age right now uh, when it comes to Tampa Bay Lightning hockey, for really for everything. I mean, I, I think from ownership down, it's it's been really good. But especially the goaltending, when you think about, let's start with Ben Bishop, and you throw in, obviously, what Vasilevsky has been able to do, the fact that those two were able to play together, even the backups that Tampa Bay has had during those guys in nets being starters is pretty remarkable. And Curtis McElhaney is right up there with any of them. Louis Domingue and, and of course, what he did uh, a couple years ago was, was fantastic. But it does make you appreciate when people start talking about contending and winning. Probably one of the reasons why, and it goes both ways, people still aren't sold on the Flyers is because they're not sure what they have in nets. Although some would say, the reason why you have some confidence is maybe you feel like they've turned the corner in net. But I think as long as Andre Vasilevsky, and you could have made the case when Ben Bishop was between the pipes as well, that maybe Tampa Bay every year because of the salary cap restrictions, Dave, doesn't have head and shoulders the best team in the league. Like we've seen maybe over the last couple of years, obviously it didn't translate to Stanley Cup championships. We understand that. But that as long as they have a guy like Vasilevsky, in nets, they're going to have a chance. And that, to me, speaks volumes of where teams are who have had talented rosters but maybe shaky goaltending. I don't want to say it's almost wasted, but you're not fulfilling that potential because you haven't been able to address that problem in net. And I, I look, I mentioned, I mentioned the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, the mainstay there has been Malkin and Crosby and Latang. But, you know, the years they've won the Cup, their goaltending figured it out. But one of the reasons why there could be some question marks this year is because you don't know what you have in Murray. And Jari, in some ways, is untested because you haven't seen him play in a playoff game. So what I'm saying is I think here in Tampa Bay, very fortunate to have maybe the best goaltender in the game. And that even when your team isn't considered as deep as some over the years, maybe at some point if that happens, as long as you have an elite goaltender, you're always going to have a chance, Dave, to really make a deeper run, more so than if you have a deep roster and shaky goaltending heading into the playoffs. Although teams have had success with deep rosters, and I wouldn't say shaky goaltending, but let's say goaltending that would not be considered elite that the You're team right. plays so well in front of You're that right. goaltending that you can still have success and 
and dare say win the Stanley Cup. That can be done, but it's preferable to have the elite goaltending for sure. Yeah, I'm going back. So it was a span of less than 12 months. The Lightning were able to pick Vasilevsky in the first round of the 2012 draft, so late June. And then the following March, in the lockout shortened season of 12-13, they acquired Ben Bishop from Ottawa. And Bishop was the third goalie in Ottawa and couldn't find playing time. And the Lightning traded Corey Conacher, who was having a really good year for the Lightning that year. And going into the 13-14 season, Vasilevsky was still an amateur at that point, or not in North America. He was playing in Russia. There was a question like, who is going to be the number one for the Lightning? Is it going to be Ben Bishop, or is it going to be Anders Lindback? The Lightning were in that boat. like They were, they were casting their reel in a number of different ponds trying to catch the fish. And you can go back to Habby Bulin almost. Now, Mike Smith was a guy they thought would provide the sort of goaltending for them that they've gotten in recent years. And I think a couple things happened to Smitty during his time here. First of all, he had injury problems. And second of all, the team was not very good for the most part when he was the main starter. And we've seen he's had a very productive and lengthy NHL career. But he was not the answer for the lighting at that time. And they continued to look and search. They made a significant trade to get Lynn back. I remember Dan Ellis. They tried him at the beginning of Guy Boucher's tenure in a year in which they did very well. But Dan Ellis was gone at that point. They they acquired Rolison, who was near the end of his career, and gave them really good goaltending in the 10-11 season, but was not able to sustain it the following year. So I think the Lightning as an organization and certainly Lightning fans understand that it can be difficult to find that elite goalie, whether you're getting that goalie via trade because he hasn't kind of hit his potential yet or gotten the opportunity with another organization or in the draft. So yeah, Vasilevsky was a first round pick, but there have been goalies who have been high draft picks It's a good point. who have not turned out to yeah. be elite. You know what? It's it's a good point because it it debunks. There's that word again, Dave. I like uh, it. It debunks kind of what I was saying because I think a lot of us have maybe looked at the quarterback position in football and made that the equivalent of the goaltender in hockey and how important that position is. But probably more so in hockey than in football. I think in football you probably need an elite quarterback to win. I. I I do, and I think statistics would probably bear that out. But to to your point, when you do look at the Stanley Cup winners who have played goal since the lockout, I, I remember reading an interesting stat. Now, I think this has been this hasn't been the case over the last couple of years. I think Braden Holpe probably bucked that trend, but up until then, your Stanley Cup winning goaltender wasn't making more than $6 million. And that struck me because, Dave, I always thought, you know, look, the goaltender's probably going to be the highest paid player maybe on the team because of how important it is. But to your point, go ahead and take a look at some of the Stanley Cup winning goaltenders 
since the lockout. I remember doing this. And you had guys like, obviously, Corey Crawford, Niemi. You had... Um, it Jonathan was Thomas. Quick. Jonathan Quick. I mean, these of, are all really good goalies. They are. And I think over the course of their Stanley Cup championship runs, those goalies saved their team. Yeah, they were Whether fantastic. it was within a period, within a game, they stole a game. They were called upon and they answered the bell. They were. Now, the difference is they weren't being paid. Maybe I should rephrase it. They weren't being paid necessarily like number one goaltenders. Like Vasilevsky got a new contract. He is being paid like the best goaltender in the game that he is. But for a lot of those teams that won cups, take a look at their salaries compared to how important and how well they played. And you would be surprised at the value teams got from their netminders considering they weren't making eight, nine million. Now that may change. And obviously here in Tampa Bay, Vasilevsky, big time deal. But it got me thinking, it's such an important position. But at least based off of those statistics, Dave, it wasn't being paid as one. And I'm wondering if that will change, certainly with the way the salary cap is going to be structured here because of COVID and not enough revenue coming in. The cap will either be where it is today, it'd be the same, or it may even go down. I don't know how that's all going to work out. But it was fascinating. I don't know if you have any strong thoughts on it or or any ideas as to why, but it, it does feel like up until recently, the position was such that it was important and you tried to win with guys on relatively team-friendly contracts and you hoped that they got hot during the right time, which... To your point, a lot of those goaltenders did, but weren't making really a ton of money considering how well they played. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would answer the question this way as to why the goaltending position has not commanded the same salary number as a McDavid, let's say, or an Ovechkin or Crosby or any of these other positions, or even some of the defensemen who are considered elite, who tend to make more than goaltenders. And that is that when a player is up for a contract renewal, we usually look at comparables. Mm -hmm. So until goaltenders start making among the most in the league, they're going to say this is what top goalies command for a salary. Now, GMs haven't been always known to show restraint with paying and giving out contracts in order to get or keep a player that they really want. But that's my best guess as to why. I don't think it's any sort of a notion that teams are looking at the goaltending position and saying, you know what? Our number one center is really important. We got to pay that guy. Our top defenseman is is super important. We got to pay that guy. Goaltender, eh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we we can pay that guy seventy percent of what we're paying the other guys. I don't think it's that. Clearly, it's not that because goaltending is really important. Now, the goaltender only helps you. Maybe this is putting it in kind of a crude way, but the goaltender only helps you at one end of the ice, right? Unless you're Hextall or Mike Smith 
firing pucks down the ice into an open net. He's really, really important in that one area, keeping the puck out. Or but Martin Brodeur. Gonna... Martin Brodeur yeah, with that's true. And ben, ben Bishop. So, yeah. you know, some goalies can start sure. offense, yes, with a good outlet. But you know what I'm getting at, that yes, yes. most other players are asked to play offense and defense. The goaltender is asked to keep the puck out. Now, he is, by degrees, more important than probably any other player in that role of keeping the puck out. But he is not going to help you substantially, I'll use that word, <laughs> score goals. And maybe that's part of it too. But I think my hunch is it probably has to do with, all right, who's the best goalie in the game today? What's he making? All right, that's our that's our ceiling. Let's work from there. And it's just been different for other position players. We're going to talk more about this on Monday, but before we sign off here on the show, and if you want to react to anything we've had to say so far, you certainly can, at Greg Linnelli, at Dave Michigan, or at Bolts Radio, our show Twitter page. The game against Washington, just we haven't had a chance to really dive into it. Of course, we will, as I said before, on Monday. But that it, that'll be a game, Dave. I feel like even if those two teams are playing in, in a back alley, uh, it's going to be intense. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing to get right back into playoff type of hockey. You've got Wilson, Ovechkin, and, of course, what happened a couple years ago between these two teams and... I, I just think that's a, a healthy way for both teams to get focused and get ready for some real hockey. I agree. We're going to have John Walton on Monday, too, my good friend, the radio voice of the Capitals. I'm curious to get his thoughts on where the Caps are regarding how they're treating these round-robin games, which has been a topic that you and I have discussed. Is it more just get through the round-robin games healthy however you can and get ready for game one of the playoffs, or is it try and play them like playoff games with that level of intensity? And I guess we're going to see the day before with the Philly-Boston game, and I think there's a round-robin game in the West as well on Sunday. So we'll get a we'll get a glimpse of how those teams are handling it. But I think the Lightning want to treat it like a playoff game. And as we discussed on a show last week, it may not be a bad thing that they're getting Washington and Boston, two of their top rivals in the first two round robin games to help amp up their intensity and the temperature in the game may go up, which will help in that regard. So I'm curious to hear the Caps perspective on this. How much of an emphasis are they putting on these round-robin games to win, to treat them like playoff games, or is it more navigating through and doing what they need to do to get through the round-robin as healthy as they can, which you won't, every team wants to be healthy. I'm not saying that, but sure. you know, do they maybe rest a guy that they might otherwise you know, for sure play in a playoff series? Uh, I have a feeling that most teams are treating these round-robin games with great significance, understanding they're not elimination games, but we'll hear from John on Monday. You know, the other part of the Washington equation here is, and this ties into the goaltending question, and I'm just going to back up a second here because Brian Engblom was on a show with me, Power Lunch, a few weeks ago, and... We were talking about the Lightning's goaltending situation. And he said he and Rick Peckham went down through the list of the 24 teams. 
and I forget what the number was, it was like 11, 10 or 11 teams, have some sort of a question as far as who the goalie is going to be. And Pittsburgh is one of those teams. Columbus is one of those teams, certainly, that we've talked about. They have a decision to make. Maybe maybe it's shaded more toward one guy at the start than another, but if that one guy has a rough first game, the leash is going to be short and they're going to put in the other guy. And the Lightning are not in that situation. He probably included the Capitals in that discussion because Ilya Samsonov has had a tremendous season. Yeah. And we don't know what's going to happen with Braden Holpe. He may be leaving the Caps. They may be looking at Samsonov as the goalie of the future. Samsonov may have gotten into the majority of games in this tournament. But Samsonov got hurt. And not only did he get hurt and not play for most, if not all, of Phase 3, I don't know exactly when he got hurt, but I know that he was hurt and not able to play, certainly for much of Phase 3, if not all of Phase 3. He's not even on their roster. So it's Holtby's net. And look, Holtby's won a Stanley Cup for them. So we're not talking about, you know, having your main guy go down and you're bringing in basically uh, a minor league goalie, let's say, to to have to to be your starter. But it does change the dynamic of how the Capitals are going to navigate through this tournament, understanding that if Holpe has a bad game, they don't have the option of putting Samsonov in. If they're going to replace Holpe, it's going to be with a guy who's had very limited NHL experience, if any at all. And that's certainly unfortunate. I mean, you don't want to see anyone get hurt. But I had heard Samsonov was injured, and then when I saw the rosters and saw that his name wasn't on there, it's like, man, that must have that it's clearly serious enough that they didn't even use a roster spot on him. Yeah. And they're bringing, I think, four goalies. That's that's a good point. That's something we'll talk to our guest on John on Monday. So make sure you stay tuned for that. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us today here, Dave, on the show. It was uh, fun doing all of these shows with you this week. We're going to do it again next week. Of course, we're going to have the game for everybody at 4 o'clock, which means the pregame on Monday will be at 3.30. But we also are going to be doing our show, as you've heard before. So make sure you keep it tuned to us starting at noon on Monday. Thank you, my friend. Great job. Have a good weekend. All right, that is Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linnelli. Thanks to Steve Ersnick, and thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it right here on Lightning Power Play.